It's the Healthy Woman Show on WJR with Marie Osborne and Dr. Jonathan Zaden. Presented by Women's Excellence. Now here's your host, Marie Osborne. Welcome into another edition of the Healthy Woman Show with Dr. Jonathan Zaden. Dr. Zayden, March Endometriosis Awareness Month, a topic that we've discussed frequently on the show, but we haven't talked about it enough. Marie, this is a, gives me a great chance. Welcome into another edition of the Healthy Woman Show with Dr. Jonathan Zayden. Dr. Zayden, March Endometriosis Awareness Month, a topic that we've discussed frequently on the show, but we haven't talked about it enough. Marie, this is a, gives me a great chance to introduce uh, the Endometriosis Treatment Center of America that we're finally opening. It seems like it's been in progress for so long, only it, it's now coming to fruition with two centers opening in the next three months. And we're also going to learn about all the conditions that are directly linked to endometriosis and what you should look out for. And keeping in touch with Endometriosis Awareness Month at the Ask the Doc segment will feature some of your specific questions regarding the disease. Uh-oh, this one, I don't think this one will be as embarrassing as some of those previous shows. And lastly, we'll wrap up with uh, talking about colorectal cancer because that's just a disease that isn't discussed enough and something that we really have to pay attention to. We take on the tough topics here on the show. Stay with us. You're in for a good show. The Healthy Woman Show continues in just a moment. Welcome back to the Healthy Woman Show. As always, we've got Dr. Jonathan Zayden alongside. Dr. Zayden, I know we've talked so much about endometriosis, but so many women suffer from this disease. So it is Endometriosis Awareness Month. It's a good time to talk about this for our new listeners, certainly. Let's briefly touch on what endometriosis is and what the symptoms are that are associated with the disease. Well, it's, you know, endometriosis is, is when the tissue that normally grows inside the uterus, which makes a, a great spot for having a baby, um, that tissue called the endometrium grows outside into the pelvis, and that can cause a lot of inflammation. And it's relatively common. About one in nine women in this country uh, get endometriosis during, you know, somewhere between their, you know, 15, 16 years old and, and 50, that what we call the reproductive years. And so it's, it's a very, very prevalent disease. And, you know, that every month cycling of that tissue that's in a place where it shouldn't be, again, not inside the uterus where it should be, but inside the abdomen. And everybody's familiar with a, a menstrual period. Imagine that tissue that comes out being inside your belly and your body trying to fight that off and heal it. That's exactly what's happening each and every month. So that's what endometriosis really is. And it's somewhat difficult to uh, diagnose because once it gets in your abdomen, you can't really see it. And a lot of the imaging and things that we use to find it, it is not adequate. So you really can't really find it in a simple way. So people have to have some symptoms and then somebody has to suspect it in order to make the diagnosis. So how many women suffer from the disease? Like I said, it's about one in nine women in the reproductive age group. Yeah. Age group. And, and, and again, if we could just talk for a second about the serious delays in diagnosis. I know we've talked about this before uh, here on the show that um, misdiagnosis is a huge problem with this. Yeah. You know, I mean, in all of medicine, you know, I have to give, you know, I have to give a shout out to doctors because, you know, quite frankly, I mean, it's very difficult to be a doctor because, you know, you, you can't miss anything. 
And, and, you know, we don't think about it that way, but how many times have you had someone that's come to your home and diagnosed your furnace or whatever, and maybe they didn't do it right, but it's not life-threatening. So in the medical world, it's really tough to make a diagnosis because symptoms are very similar. Anybody who's read the back of a pill bottle or, or a package insert, they have half of those symptoms that are on those, you know, adverse reactions, right? That's tough to do. It's tough to make that diagnosis when you're in a room with the patient. And it takes some time to make it because this is a disease where a lot of the symptoms women may have in a natural state, but they're just, you know, amplified with endometriosis. And so, you know, you kind of have to see if it's impacting their life and, and the symptoms are getting worse. And then there's a gradation of symptoms, meaning that not every woman experiences it the same. It'd be a lot easier if everybody kind of had the same algorithm, but they don't. So it's a very difficult disease to diagnose. The biggest thing that I always think of when, you know, we, we make that diagnosis is, is it impacting somebody's life? I think you uh, remember we had done a, a show, I think it was a podcast with um, some of the news anchors. And one of the things on that show, there were like four or five news anchors and they all told their story and it took them a long time to be diagnosed because they were thinking they were other things that were causing their, their symptoms. And the truth of the matter is the faster you diagnose anything, the better it is. And so, you know, it's, there's a lot of delays. The biggest thing is to be vigilant in looking for the symptoms and a, a conglomeration of those symptoms that actually lead you to looking a little bit more thoroughly. So who gets endometriosis? Is there some kind of genetic link to this disease? Well, we clearly, we clearly haven't identified one specific gene that causes endometriosis. But I believe that there is kind of a myriad of genes that probably predispose you to it. And since we're similar genetically to our parents, sisters, and so forth, we probably, in some cases, have that myriad of gene or an, a, enough of those genes that we do have an association between you know, genetic family members and whether or not they get endometriosis. On top of that, we think this is maybe an environmental disease too. So, you know, a lot of people that are in the same family have a tendency to do the same things, eat the same foods, right? You know, do all the do similar things. And so you'll see people that, you know, probably get similar symptoms, not only from a genetic cause, but also from an environmental cause. Now, you know, I've had, you know, a lot of patients with endometriosis over the years that have been sisters. And what's interesting is, there must be some genetic link because so many times I'll see two sisters in two different cities that live totally different lifestyles, but are genetically related and have almost the exact same disease pattern. Right. And I'll also see people that, you know, maybe are sisters, but they're not genetic sisters. Right. So they're in the same household, have grown up together and they have the same environmental lifestyle and they both have similar disease. So I've seen it on both ends. And, you know, I guess you get to that when you get the gray hair and the, and the gray beard and stuff like that, like I'm, I'm starting to get now. So, you know, after 23 years, you see a lot of stuff. Yeah, fascinating link there. You're listening to The Healthy Woman Show here on WJR with Dr. Jonathan Zayden of Women's Excellence. Dr. Zayden, is endometriosis a benign disease? Oh, absolutely. So, you know, so many people, they worry about, they'll come into my office and they hear they have this disease. The first thing is, is am I going to get cancer? And the answer is, there are some, some links to um, different types of cancers called primary peritoneal carcinoma and endometriosis. 
But right now, those links aren't something that people should worry about. They're more associative links. And most endometriosis, we think, is a benign condition and stays a benign condition. It doesn't transform itself into a cancerous condition. We may find out differently in the future, but it's certainly not a high prevalence. Um, the thing is, is that, you know, the endometriosis uh, oftentimes will present itself like a cancer. For example, some of the tumor markers that we use, blood tests that we use to determine whether or not somebody may or may not have a cancer can be elevated with endometriosis because of the severe inflammation. And endometriosis can cause ovarian cysts that look a little abnormal. And when that happens, people oftentimes think that they have a cancer. So that's why you'll hear people say, well, my sister had endometriosis and she had a cancer, when really what happened is during the workup, they were concerned that it could be a cancer but it really was just endometriosis. So no, it is not a cancerous disease. People need to know that. And it's very important that they do because we don't want to make people fearful about treatment. We want to make people embrace treatment for this. And very quickly, before we lock out on this segment, just quickly talk about infertility and the impact of endometriosis upon infertility. Well, I mean, to be brief, you know, it's an inflammatory condition. You've heard me, you, you've heard me say that. You'll probably hear me say it a couple more times in the show, depending on how it goes. But, you know, endometriosis is it causes inflammation. So anytime you have that inflammation, that inflammation can cause damage to your tubes. It can cause, um, you know, organs in the pelvis to stick together. Um, it can cause, you know, pain from that. It could cause, um, you know, difficulty with getting pregnant just because the tubes are no longer patent or they're blocked. So there's things like that. And also it can cause some, you know, issues with your intestines and bladder and all that type of stuff as well. So there's a lot of, you know, infertility, bladder problems, pelvic pain, all that kind of thing occurs. Secondary to this is inflammation. So much more to talk about. We're talking about March being Endometriosis Awareness Month here on the Healthy Woman Show on WJR. We'll have more when we come back. And we're back on The Healthy Woman Show here on WJR with Dr. Jonathan Zayden of Women's Excellence. Dr. Zayden, we were talking about March being uh, Endometriosis Awareness Month. We're going through a laundry list of things to think about if you are concerned you may have endometriosis. So a big question is how is endometriosis diagnosed? Well, the first thing I think we talked about earlier is symptoms. I mean, you know, you have to have the symptoms of, of endometriosis. And some one of those symptoms could be infertility. It could be pain, pain with intercourse, uh, cyclic pain with your periods, overall discomfort, abdominal bloating, uh, you know, maybe some bladder issues with increased menstrual pain. These are the types of symptoms that people get. And then once you have those symptoms, if they're not treated by standard conservative therapy, then you, we do something called a laparoscopy where we make a small incision in your belly button and another little incision. You know, usually these incisions are only a couple millimeters wide very cosmetic. And we take a look inside and, and, and begin the journey of, of finding whether or not you have it. And then of course, once we know, then we start a roadmap to uh, success to get treated. So conditions that could be linked to endometriosis is when you, when you get endometriosis, are there other things that are associated with it? Oh, you know what? We see a lot of different things with endometriosis. It's an inflammatory disease. So we see things like thyroid disease, we see things like autoimmune problems, certainly um, irritable bowel syndrome, 
some of the other bowel syndromes are, are more prevalent. Interstitial cystitis, you've probably heard us talk about that on the show before. This is a bladder irritation problem. Um, I had somebody in the office today who told me, it's, you know, I said, do you have urinary stuff? And she said, yeah, I told, you know, I told you my PA, Lauren, she said, you know, I have uh, urinary frequency. She says to me, she goes, it's more than that. I, I thought about it afterwards. You know, I've been diagnosed, I don't know how many times with a urinary tract infection. They give me antibiotics. It doesn't necessarily get better. And I just stop going in when I get the same symptoms and it goes away. I go, you have interstitial cystitis. You know, 40% of all women have that disease process. And she was like, I know I have interstitial cystitis. So, you know, that's another one. So any of these inflammatory disease can absolutely do it. So, you know, these are things that we should all look into. Now, when we start treating, we look into allergies. We look into, you know, painful vulvar areas called vulvodynia. We look for things like lupus, chronic fatigue syndrome, you know, again, irritable bowel, Hashimoto's thyroiditis. We're looking for all of that stuff when we're working up a patient because we know that they're more likely to have those things. And you can't give comprehensive care unless you're treating the whole, the whole person. Exactly. Covering all the bases there. So what makes an endometriosis specialist different from my regular OBGYN? Is it important for us patients to do some research about that? Oh, I think it absolutely is. You know, um, everybody, everybody has in every, in every field, you know, experts in certain disease processes, right? And medicine has differentiated itself quite a bit from the standard general practitioner, right? So, you know, at one time there was a general MD and you got sick and you called him and he came to your house and they pretty much took care of everything. And still to this day, when you get your medical license, it says physician and, and surgeon, and you're still able to and you're still able to prescribe medicines, actually like a pharmacist, um, if you're a doctor. So you can still do those things because at one time that's what you did. And that wasn't that long ago. I mean, it was certainly within the century for sure. Absolutely. Right. And so now people have specialized, right? We have a colorectal surgeons, we have general surgeons, we have surgeons that specialize in thyroid. Even if you go to your orthopedic surgeon, right? You don't rarely go to your orthopedic surgeon for just about anything. You go, there's a shoulder specialist, a knee specialist, all those things. One well, OBGYN, we have the same types of things. I mean, you know, OB specialists are midwives, right? And, and, you know, reproductive endocrinology specialists do in vitro fertilization and hormonal evaluation. Then we have specialty people that take care of fetal anomalies. And endometriosis isn't a specific specialty within our field, but it's something that you have to have a passion to do. You know, I mean, I have had a passion for it for years, so it's been easy for me to, to do this. I mean, you know, personally, it's, it's touched me. And, you know, with my wife and, and we also have, you know, a lot of patients that, you know, it's pretty heartwarming. Some of the things that, that happen on a regular basis. I mean, I just talked to someone today again, that, uh, you know, as we talked on the break, you know, I just talked to somebody who has, you know, on her third baby because we did endometriosis, uh, excision on her. And so what makes us a specialist is one, the passion, number two, the knowledge and three, the ability to perform pretty complex surgery. We do excisional therapy where we excise all the lesions. We actually take them out, much different than just making a diagnosis and putting people on hormone therapy. And when we do that, we get you know phenomenal outcomes. So I think that's really what makes us a specialist, per se. So can you tell us a little bit about the mission behind the Endometriosis Treatment Center of America? You know, I mean, the mission really is to be, it's, it's, 
it's kind of hard to explain, but I think that the mission is simple. We want to be a one-stop shop for endometriosis, and we want to bring people back to a normal quality of life. You know, when I see a young lady who's 26 years old and who hasn't been able to fulfill the things that she would normally fulfill in her life because three or four days a month, she's been impacted by, you know, not being able to do normal activities because she's in such physical pain. She may have some relationship issues that are developing or maybe having a hard time having a baby. How difficult is that? So our number one focus at, at the Endometriosis Treatment Center of America now is about restoring your quality of life. That's what it's all about. And so, you know, I mean, it's, just, it's pretty simple to, to answer that question. It's complicated what we do to do that because we've, we've dived into it to a level where we're so comprehensive now looking at every individual aspect of a person's care. And I believe that our, our treatment protocols will develop more and more so that we're, you know, basically covering every aspect of a, of a woman and the inflammatory conditions that they can get with endometriosis. You know, I'd like to just go back for a moment to look a little deeper into some of this, into the symptoms that people can have with endometriosis. It's it's not yet been classified, according to what you've said, classified as an autoimmune disease, but it might increase the risk for autoimmune diseases. So can you talk just a little more about that? Well, I don't know that, I don't know that it actually increases the risk. I think that people that are at at risk for autoimmune diseases have a tendency to be more likely to have endometriosis. And you have to remember, we have a lot of immune mediators in our body, our white blood cells, what we call cytokines, interleukins, all of these things, you know, combat our ability to live a normal existence, right? And if we get rid of them, what happens? People get yeast infections, cancers. If you knock out your immune system, right? What ends up happening is you get a lot of other things that can develop. And so endometriosis, I think, is one of those things where if you don't have a good solid autoimmune system, uh, then you have a tendency more likely to get um, endometriosis. And we see that that those same people have other inflammatory diseases. I mentioned them earlier, vulvodynia, allergies, lupus, chronic fatigue syndrome, inflammatory bowel uh, syndrome, um, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which is an autoimmune thyroid disease. I mean, all of these things are a little bit more um, prevalent with these types of things. So I, I really believe that, you know, autoimmune is where we're going to ultimately find this. And I believe it to be something as simple as this. You know, these cells come out into the pelvis, out of the uterus. In certain people, those cells are just taken up, absorbed, and you move on, right? And in other people, they turn into things that start to grow and, and your body doesn't take care of them. And, and that, I believe all of that has everything to do with your immune system. And so, you know, I believe, you know, one of the big things that we're going to, you know, talk about, um, you know, in the future with all of our patients is, is diet. You know, it's not so much that we're going to have, you know, specific diets. We're, we do have endometriosis friendly type diets, but more importantly, leading a healthy, healthy lifestyle with a good nutritional diet, because that's what keeps your immune system better. We all know it, right? Every one of us knows it, right? I mean, we know when we've run ourselves down too much, if we're not eating good, if we don't sleep enough, that we get colds and flus and all the things that we don't want to talk about now with COVID. But nonetheless, 
if you don't live a good, healthy lifestyle, I think you have more intensity to get things like endometriosis and some of these other things as well. And, you know, with the pandemic and with COVID-19, a lot of people are talking about our immune systems and boosting those immune systems. It's been a big discussion, uh, certainly this past year. Dr. Zayden, when we come back, I know it's your favorite part of the show, but we're going to do Ask the Doc, and they all have to do questions with endometriosis. So stay with us here on The Healthy Woman Show with Dr. Jonathan Zayden on WJR. We're back with the Healthy Woman Show here on WJR with Dr. Jonathan Zayden of Women's Excellence. And joining us as always now every month is Jessica Rousset, the Patient Outreach Coordinator at Women's Excellence. It's the Ask the Doc Endometriosis Edition. Jessica, what's in the new bag? It's good to be here, and we have a lot of questions about endo this month. Um, I, uh, I wish that people could see these things live because I always have to take about three swigs of water before <laughs> I start these, uh, these questions. But I think this is going to be easier than your other crazy questions that you asked me, so I'm and excited for it. With some of these questions, I went out to patients who um, have endo, and I was asking them, what were your main questions when you first got a diagnosis or even before you had a diagnosis? So I really wanted to help some listeners out, you know, hear some of these questions that our real patients had. So I will start. Well, I feel a little like uh, any from, from a Johnny Carson reference. I feel like the amazing Karnak right now. So <laughs> please open your envelope and let's get going. All right. If I get a hysterectomy, will the pain stop? Will endometriosis go away? Well, we've opened with a, a very tough one. That could be a <laughs> that could be a seven minute uh, area on the on the show. Well, the answer to that is the endometriosis is an inflammatory condition. I told everybody on the show if you listen, if you were on a few a few minutes ago, you heard me say that. I'd say it again. It's an inflammatory condition. And it's really hormonally driven. And it's not really about the uterus. It's about the tissue inside the uterus that's migrated outside into the pelvis. And so once it's out there, it needs to be treated. So just removing the uterus alone will not treat endometriosis. It can be helpful for recurrence because, you know, if you completely cure endometriosis or you get the, the vast majority of endometriosis excised or removed from the abdomen, then at that point, you know, taking away the uterus would allow no more endometrial tissue to grow from the uterus or, or go through the tubes back into the abdomen. So it can help in that way. And it can also help to decrease some of the blood supply in the pelvis because you're not feeding that organ with blood supply. Hence, you take less blood supply of the rest of the pelvis, so symptoms can be relieved. A hysterectomy in itself, depending on whether or not you remove the ovaries or you don't, is not necessarily a cure. All right. You know, this is just my question going off of that answer you gave. What about menopause? Would menopause stop endo? So menopause doesn't get rid of endometriosis, but endometriosis is an inflammatory uh, condition. You heard us say earlier in the show that it's between 15 and 49 is, I think, the you know, 15 and 50, basically, the reproductive age. So that's the age where you produce estrogen and progesterone, right? So, you know, that estrogen is, is one of the big feeders of endometriosis. So, you know, menopause itself is helpful in treating endometriosis because, you know, if you get to menopause, you're, you're going to produce less estrogen. 
The caveat there is that I still take care of people, believe it or not, for endometriosis far after they reach the menopause. And the reason I do that is because the inflammation that I keep talking about causes scar tissue and so on and so forth in the pelvis and oftentimes causes things to stick together. Well, as a woman gets older, sometimes they have some prolapse disorders or some weakness in the pelvic floor. When the, when the pelvic floor is no longer supporting those organs, those, those adhesions or that scar tissue becomes very you know, taut on those structures. And when, it, and when the prolapse starts to begin a little bit you know, and it can't happen because it's pulling on the scar tissue, people can get a lot of pain. Many, many times I find that to be endometriosis related. They're not having active lesions because they're menopausal but they're having the sequelae of premenopausal endometriosis in the postmenopausal time period. Interesting. I think that'll be, uh, you know, good information for our listeners. Um, our second question, and you touched a little bit on it, um, has to do with surgery. And this patient wanted to know what is the difference between excision and ablation and which surgery is better? Well, you know, excision 100% is better. I mean, there's, there's, zero doubt that, you know, excising the disease is going to, you know, make a bigger improvement. So, you know, you have to like focus on, on that as being the number one way of treating it. It's a commonsensical item. You know, if you just go in kind of like ablation is more like you cauterize it or you laser it or something, you really can't laser all of these things or cauterize them all the way down to the to where they begin. So what ends up happening is, is that you end up not, you know, superficially getting a lot of this tissue and not getting it deep enough. So it has a tendency to recur. With excision, we're excising. We're actually taking the tissue away. So needless to say, when we take that tissue away, we're taking away a lot of the inflammation behind it. With ablation, we're actually creating more inflammation when we actually, you know, burn that tissue, whether it's with a laser or a cautery or whatever we use, and that causes more inflammation. So, you know, ultimately it might get blunt the endometriosis itself, but you've also created more inflammation in the process of doing it. So it's excision is the way to go. And Dr. Zayden, why is excision of endometriosis, why is that considered the gold standard of care? You know, mainly because the gold standard of anything is improvement of symptoms, right? So the gold standard of any type of medical procedure, whether it's chemotherapy, whether it's surgery, is what is the best way to do it? The best way to treat endometriosis today is to excise the disease. Excision of endometriosis is the hallmark of actually getting people better decreasing their inflammation, and overall getting them back to a better lifestyle. Great. Let me go to our third question. We have two more. Hopefully these haven't been too tough. <laughs> um, this one, a patient wants to know what lifestyle or at-home remedies would you recommend to help with the pain? I think the biggest one, I touched on it earlier, but, you know, I, I had told you at the Endometriosis Treatment Center of America, we're going to focus on a healthy lifestyle, right? So that's going to be our, our number one focus. And so that's going to be, you know, a hallmark of what a patient should do, right? They need to make sure that they're nutritionally, what I call nutritionally replete, that they're getting good, you know, vitamin, mineral supplementation, they're getting good sleep, right? They're also keeping their immune system healthy, and their diet isn't high in, in what we call, you know, soy type products and things like that that can actually lead to more estrogen. 
anything that's going to increase your risk for estrogen is going to be bad for endometriosis over the long term because we believe that there's an estrogen progesterone balance that we are looking at with endometriosis and those people who are higher in estrogen, so they have a higher estrogen to progesterone ratio are going to have worse conditions. So in anything that makes you overweight can do that because our, our extra tissue, adipose tissue or fat tissue, right, can cause, you know, a little bit extra estrogen production and that can cause endometriosis. So, you know, a healthy lifestyle is going to be what we're going to recommend every time. And, uh, you know, and maintaining, you know, a diet that's, you know, keeping you uh, trim and also uh, keeping you from uh, foods that would be related to uh, isoestrogens. Okay. And this last question, I love this one because it deals with endo, but also many other problems that a patient could have. Um, but this patient wants to know how you would recommend handling or talking to a doctor that won't listen to their concerns. Oh, I can, <laughs> I, I can, I can think of about probably 300 patients that probably have, have, have submitted that. You know, I said it earlier in the show, and I'd like to say it again. I mean, the doctors that are on the front lines taking care of patients have to deal with a lot of different things. And it's very, very easy. And I tell patients this all the time. It's easy for me to make the diagnosis of endometriosis because many people come into me with all these symptoms and they haven't gotten better. But those doctors have seen those patients on the fr from the time they got their first symptom. Obviously, they're not going to send them to an endometriosis specialist then, right? So, you know, I I, I would tell people, you know, doctors have good intention. I mean, with in most cases, you know, doctors are doing the best they can do. And we have unrealistic expectations sometimes of society. We, you know, we believe that we can get a package on our front doorstep in one day. You know, when people, you know, I, I ordered some stuff online and I, I found out I wasn't going to get it for like four weeks. That used to be the average you know, now I want to get it in one day, you know, and, you know, it's because the, the product that I want hasn't even been made yet. Our expectations are unrealistic. And so I think that people's expectations of doctors sometimes can be unrealistic. If you have symptoms that are unrelent, you know, unrelenting and they're changing your quality of life and you notice that you're doing things differently than your peer group because you just aren't well enough to do what you want to do. Your relationship's suffering. Your, your job is suffering. You know, you're having to go to the bathroom 10 times more than your friends. You're constantly going to the doctor for this stuff. Don't rely on the doctor so much. Rely on yourself and look into this could possibly be endometriosis and find somebody like at the, you know, endometriosis treatment center of America, find somebody that specializes in this disease can diagnose you, look for other conditions, make a treatment plan, execute that treatment plan, and restore you back to a normal life. Those are the things that are going to be the hallmark of what's going to get you better. You can't just rely on your doctor. You don't rely on any one person to treat anything, especially if it's specialty, right? They can lead you down a path. In many cases, those doctors that people are so frustrated with have provided me a lot of information before I ever see the patient to make the diagnosis faster and quicker. So, you know, don't have angst with your doctor, rather just go to the next level. And, and, you know, and, and, you know, it's unfortunate if you didn't get diagnosed earlier. Jessica Rossette, thank you so much for joining us today. Jessica, of course, the patient outreach coordinator at Women's Excellence. When we come back with Dr. Zayden, we're going to talk about another awareness month. It's colorectal awareness month, and we'll talk more about that when we come back.
Dr. Zayden, here in this last segment of the Healthy Woman Show, we wanted to also make note that March is Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month. So these are two really important topics. We covered endometriosis. We'll also finish up talking about that in just a second. But you really want to talk just a bit about colorectal cancer awareness. We talk so much about endometriosis, but did you know that March is also the awareness month for this disease that affects one in 24 women and it's not talked about enough. Why do you think it is that we're so shy about talking about this disease? I I think it's pretty obvious. You know, one of the things that we talk about on the show all the time is bladder control problems. And it's just been over the last few years that people felt more comfortable talking about that. You know, prior to that, nobody wanted to talk about a disease process that really, you know, showed that they couldn't, you know, cognitively control their bladder, right? And now, you know, we see a lot of of that, right? Colorectal cancer is no different. I mean, you know, people are ashamed of their bowel habits. They don't want to talk to somebody if they're having bad bowel habits. It's it's considered dirty and, and you know, and and it's it's not something that we we would ever share with our friends, right? It's just not something you want to talk about when you're when you're out, you know, maybe, uh, you know, having tea with your friends, you're not going to talk about your bowel habits, right? Even though they could be different and they could be changing. And I think there's a lot of fear. You know, I think when, you know, if somebody experiences having any blood or anything like that from the rectum, there's a lot of fear associated with that. And so, you know, I think those are some of the reasons that people don't talk about it. And, you know, I, I wanted to include it on the show today, Marie, for a couple of reasons. And that, you know, sometimes certain disease processes get a lot of attention and, and, you know, and the ones that are, you know, they say the statement, you know, you can see the forest, you can't see the forest through the trees or, you know, and, and I think this is one of them. I mean, so many people come into my office and I, you know, as I have a, you know, a population of people where I do their bladder symptom, you know, bladder control, they also have, you know, uh, you know, colon uh, issues. And, you know, I, I deal with it with them. And I just think that everybody should be aware. And that's part of why the mission of this show, that's why we were asked to do it initially was, was to, to make people aware. So, you know, I mean, people should get screened for colon cancer, like 50 or even earlier, if they're at higher risk, you know, there's a simple test. It's a fecal occult blood test. You know, they can take, they can send it home and you could put a little, uh, little stool on a little card, or you can, you know, put it in a little, uh, a little vial, something that you put off your finger. We do it in the office for all of our annual exams for people over 50. I mean, these are simple tests that you should do. And all of these, all offices should be doing that. And, and even though some aren't, um, the patient should be asking for this. And then colonoscopies. I mean, these are, you know, tests that should be done every five to 10 years, depending on your risk factors. You know, people don't always want to get that test done. They're afraid of the prep, but it's absolutely a necessary test because you can find small things and, and maybe treat it sooner. And then, you know, now we have hereditary cancer screening. So, you know, we have in-office blood tests that, you know, you may qualify for from your insurance so that you can determine whether you are at higher risk and whether you should do some of these tests more frequently. Because, you know, again, early diagnosis is everything with this disease. And again, I would be remiss if if I didn't talk about this. You know, I, I mean, this is colorectal cancer awareness month and, and people really need to know. Colorectal versus gynecological symptoms there. You really should kind of know the difference between those two and have an open dialogue with your doctor. 
For sure. And, you know, I mean, the signs and symptoms of it really are, you know, a change in bowel habits, some rectal, you know, rectal bleeding or any blood in the stool that should always be evaluated. If you're getting abdominal pain, bloating, cramping, discomfort, you're getting unexplained weight loss, you have unexplained anemia. These are the things. And, you know, I mean, you could do some simple lifestyle changes to help your risk of colon cancer, such as, you know, if you eat fruits, vegetables, grains, you know, anything that keeps you having bowel movements on a regular basis. Smoking has been related. So definitely decrease smoking or stop smoking altogether, I think, and, um, and exercise uh, most, you know, almost, you know, everything is immune driven, I believe. So, you know, the more exercise you get, the more healthier lifestyle, the better your weight is, the less chance you're going to get of, of colon cancer. We spent a good part of the show talking about endometriosis because it is also uh, Endometriosis Awareness Month. And I wanted to just quickly close out the show with some things about the Endometriosis Center of America. I know you're behind that. Tell us a little bit more about locations. Where can people get a hold of you? What can they expect when they go there? You know, the Endometriosis Treatment Center of America was designed and is coming on board here in two locations in Birmingham and in Lake Orion. And it was designed to expedite and streamline the care of this disease for women. People have asked me to do it, you know, for years. We started it about 10 years ago where we had a small center where we did this type of stuff. And, um, and now we've decided to really focus it. We've, we've got some amazing physician assistants We've got some amazing new, um, you know, medical technicians and so forth that are helping us. And, you know, it's really going to change, I think, the way that people, you know, experience treatment for this disease. I think it's very, very important. So, again, Lake Orion location right on Lapeer Road and in Birmingham, right down by the Townsend Hotel. We'll have both of the centers open within the next three to four months. Um, big endeavor to open an office. I haven't done it for 23 years um, to open something from scratch like this. But uh, but I, I have to tell you, it, this is a passion of mine. And I think that we are going to clearly make people better We're gonna, and restore their quality of life. And that's, that's, that's my goal. And it, it really allows me to give back. Do you have a website that uh, people can uh, take a look at? Yeah. I mean, I don't even know that the website will probably refer to women's excellence here before, you know, you know, right now, but I'll tell you that it's going to be www.centerofendometriosis.com. Again, centerofendometriosis.com. And, uh, you know, and I, I felt that that was a, a great name for this site because it's really going to be that center that you can go to for the care of endometriosis that you need. And so again, www.centerofendometriosis.com centerofendometriosis.com. Dr. Zayden, thank you so much for telling us more about Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month, as well as Endometriosis Awareness Month here on the Healthy Woman Show. Two topics, extremely important, and we want to give a shout out to the Women's Excellence website. That's womensexcellence.com. Thanks, Dr. Zayden. We'll see you again next month. Thanks, Marie. The Healthy Woman Show has been presented by Women's Excellence.